0: Hello, and welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Sheffield, Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. I'm Ingrid Birchall-Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Each week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, and this time, Fred goes on holiday to Blackpool, and will be enjoying Janie and Fred's back-and-forth correspondence during that fortnight. Situated on the northeast coast of England, by 1880, the Lancashire town of Blackpool had emerged as a primary location for the working classes to take their annual holiday. At the time, it had two pleasure piers and had recently opened the winter gardens, where there was, as described at the time, a concert room, promenades, conservatories and other accessories calculated to convert the estate into a pleasant lounge, especially desirous during inclement days. And only the year before, in 1879, Blackpool had become the first municipality in the world to have electric street lighting. consisted of eight carbon arc lamps which bathed the promenade in what the town advertised as artificial sunshine. They were the forerunner of what would come to be known as the Blackpool Illuminations and these two developments laid down the foundation for the town becoming the most popular holiday destination in the north of England. After last year's holiday in the rather more sedate Bridlington, our Fred thoroughly enjoyed all the diversions, well nearly all, that Blackpool had to offer. 10th of August, 1880, Blackpool, Fern House, 7 King Street. My darling Janie, we arrived all safe here, as was expected. We were fortunate in coming as we had a capital carriage from Sheffield to Manchester, and from there we came by a special train to Blackpool, Arriving at twelve forty five instead of one thirty, a saving of three quarters of an hour. The weather yesterday was beautiful, but very hot, or as Tommy calls it, none so stinking cold. I'm sorry that I could not write earlier, dear, but I really could not, as we had to wait until the room was prepared for us, which was not until late last night. I think Blackpool looks nicer than ever, and of course, being August, is quite full. There are about twenty at our place, as far as I can judge, but I've never seen them all at once. I really don't know where they find sleeping room for them all. I think some of them have to sleep somewhere else. Most of them come from Nottingham. In fact, there are six girls from there, all unmarried. I hope you will not be uneasy, as I assure you there is no cause. They are the most affected lot that I ever came across, both in speech and manner. The speech, or rather talk, is not quite according to the grammarian Lindley Murray. Then they all excel in saying, oh yes, with a most peculiar accent. Almost all of them play the piano, but the music they get from it, or shall I say the noise, is something prodigious. I have not given them any yet, as there is not one that can play a decent accompaniment. The usual accompaniment consists in continually striking three notes, the same notes, all the time, and I'm afraid it would scarcely suit my peculiar melodious voice. We have very good lodgings. Our bedroom is in the front, which is much better than having an outlook of blank walls or chimney tops. Even this has its drawbacks as about half past six this morning, the bellman came round singing some rigmarole about the steamers. You really must excuse the writing. I can't find a good pen. They never keep good pens at lodging houses. We are going to hear the great Sims and his son tonight at the Winter Gardens. I wish you were here, my darling. There is so much to see, and I should enjoy showing you all the sights. I have been wondering however I existed last year at Bridlington. The piers, or as the girls invariably call them, the pears, and the promenade between them, are lit up by the electric light, which has a grand effect. Last night, about a mile of the promenade, was as thick with people as the hundred yards of Bridlington was last year, so you may guess from that that there are fair few people here. An average, I should think, there are four to one females. By appearances, I should say, there must be some miles of pompadour here. There are some quiet spots even here at the north and south of the piers, and at the north end especially where the lovers go to promenade. How I wished for you, Janie, need not be said. I think if you were here, I should have nothing more to wish for. I came up to Sheffield with your brother John yesterday, and he expressed a desire to come if there should be a trip. If he does, I hope you will not throw any obstacles in his way, my dear. You might come with him, to look after him, you know. Of course, which would be jolly. I hope you got home all right on Monday night, dear. I regret that I could not accompany you. Write back early, my darling, a long letter, assuring me that you love me still the same. That's very poetic, isn't it? This morning was rather misty, which ended in a slight rain, but it has cleared off, and is now very pleasant. I wish I could see you and kiss you, my darling, but I suppose that is not to be for a fortnight yet. However, when I do, I remain, my darling Janie, yours, Fred. In haste at Carbrook, Hansworth, August 11th, 1880. My darling Fred, your letter did me good this morning. I was so pleased to hear of your safe arrival at Blackpool. I only wish I was there with you, love. I am afraid we should find out the quiet spots and enjoy them too. I was rather late on Monday night. I waited at Carrie's, until half past eight of our John, and he did not come, so I had to go by the nine o'clock train alone. My darling, I did miss you going up the lane. And your kisses too, I guess. I hope you enjoyed the big sim last night. I did not know he had a son. What sort of young man is he? Is he a gay young thing of 40? I wish I had been there with you to hear him. I have no doubt that if I find there is a day trip to Blackpool this week, or on Monday, I shall find my way over there, as a protector over John and Carrie. Father and mother went to Claycross Flower Show yesterday, so sister and I were the housekeepers. I should have gone if mother had not. It is such a good show. It is shame to miss it. I have had to come down to Carbrook about my polonaise for the wedding. The weather is grand, but awfully hot. I was nearly overdone with the heat. I wish you could just come over for tonight to take me home, love. I shall feel lonely. I am almost afraid I shall have to get someone to go up with me. Let me see, who shall it be? Where can I find a nice little dark fellow? Oh, can't I enjoy myself, love, while you are away? Just fancy me now walking up with... with... With Emma Gill, she did promise she would up with me. You're not afraid of me kissing her, are you, love? But, my darling, I think I would rather save that love and kisses for you when you get back. Won't that be a joyful time? Fred, I do love you. My darling, yours, Janie. John Sims Reeves, a famous tenor, also known as the Great Sim, was the headline act for that season's concert at Blackpool. And the review at the end of the season in the Blackpool Gazette and Herald described him as the lion at these concerts. It was in The Bay of Biscay, his own favourite song, we believe, and certainly a favourite with the public, that the great genius of Sim Reeves was heard to our advantage. It was a genuine success displaying the qualities of natural ability, superlative skill and sympathetic intelligence of which he has proved himself the fortunate processor. Mr Reeves sang with all his old fervour and dramatic power and was applauded and encored enthusiastically. The Miles of Pompadour that Fred mentioned must be a reference to the emergence of the latest hairstyle in fashion for ladies at the time. It was a forerunner to what became known as the Gibson girl look, popular in the 1890s and into the Edwardian period, piling hair in pillows at the front and around the head in a great wispy fashion. At this time, the pompadour look was less exaggerated, with more of an upswept fringe, and the rest of the hair gathered into a bun at the back of the head. The style of Janie's dress for her friend's upcoming wedding, a polonaise, was a revival of the swagged overskirt and frilled underskirt, that had been very popular in the 1790s. The late Victorian interpretation of this was to have a straight skirt flat to the front of the corset, a bustle at the back, and then the polonaise was an overskirt. Often in contrasting fabric, stripes were very popular, gathered fully on the hips, that would create a swag or draper fabric either side of the skirt. The folds would often be emphasised with elaborate lace trim and sometimes were gathered up on tape, rather like Austrian blinds. Fern House, 7 King Street, Blackpool, August 13th, 1880 My darling Janie, I am sorry you had to go home by yourself, love but perhaps you will be able to value your little dear a little more. The Great Sims was in Capital Voice on Tuesday. There were between six and 7,000 there, his son too, singing splendidly. He is about 23, as near like his father as possible, in looks and style. I am afraid you will not be able to come to Blackpool, dear. We get the Sheffield paper every morning, and I have not seen any advertisement in so far. I do wish you were here, my darling. It would be complete. The weather is beautifully clear, but frightfully hot. I have got a complexion like a boiled lobster, and expect to be about fourteen stone by the time I come home. It's jolly having nothing to do but eat, drink, smoke and sleep. I had almost forgotten one other thing, and that is dancing. I am in capital dancing training, dear, having learned to waltz since coming here. I suppose it will be of use when I come back. I am glad you did not go to Claycross as it will be good practice for you indoors. Besides, you know, dear, I don't like people always to be running about. I hope your polonaise will be a nice one, but of course it will be. Your dresses always are. Fred Johnson came over yesterday from Morecambe, and of course is disgusted after seeing Blackpool. I'm afraid I shall not be able to write as long a letter as usual. There are so many people here, and these girls are always chattering and talking scandal, it's sickening. I wish they'd go home, and then perhaps it would be quieter.' I like quiet, you know, love. I've been reading poetry this last day or two. Tommy bought Tennyson. I've been reading Maud, till I've got quite poetic and inclined to say, in the words of the poet Gill, corrected. I love thee, yes, I love thee, for thee my heart doth yearn. I would that I could hear thee, say thou lovest me in return. I almost wish the holiday were ending so I could see you, my darling, and kiss you. It would be like heaven to me, love. Were I a bird, love, then I would fly to thee every night from seven to ten. I think I shall go to the theatre tonight. They are playing Diplomacy. We went for a sail this morning in a yacht and it made me sick, but only for about five minutes. Afterwards, I was in capital form for dinner. I think these girls are the silliest I have come across so far. They haven't got two ideas in their head. I cannot write any more at present. There is always so much noise. Except that I love you, my darling, more than ever. I shall always remain yours forever. Fred. Hansworth. Sunday afternoon, August the 15th, 1880. My darling Fred, I shall be glad when it is time for you to come home. I do want to see you. Just fancy, being without you for Saturday and Sunday... It is dreary. I went to our church this morning. I think they were all out of time. The torture I suffered was frightful. I had a very musical friend on each side of me, and one at the back. The music was really astonishing that came out of them. I had my class of little girls at Sunday school this afternoon. They were very attentive. I quite enjoyed teaching them. Tonight, my darling, Annie Laverack and I are going to Darnall Church. I wish I was going with you instead to Blackpool Church. I am sorry that there is no excursion to Blackpool. I should have liked to have seen the sights with you, but we will arrange better next year. I am glad you get on well with your dancing. It may be very useful at our feast. Fred Love, let me advise you to get a sunshade to keep the sun from spoiling your complexion. I don't want nothing left but a grease spot. I fancy it will be a rare big one if you get to be fourteen stone. I weighed myself on Thursday, and I have gained two pounds. I am wasting away considerably. I have not time for any more, only that I love you, my darling, more than ever. I remain yours, Jane. I noticed that Janie's Sunday school class was made up of girls, and for some of them it might have been the only education that they received. The Elementary Education Act of 1880, to enforce compulsory attendance for children from five to ten years old, had only just passed, and was as yet still not free. Poorer families would often send their children to work, and daughters were at a particular disadvantage, as education for them was seen as less valuable. It wouldn't be until 1891 that state payment of school fees would make primary education effectively free in England and Wales. Sunday schools, while focusing on religious education, were often the only option of formal education that working class families could afford while the emphasis was on religious education three to five hours a week spent on learning to read the Bible had a major impact on the levels of literacy in the UK so the lessons that Sunday school teachers like Jane provided were especially important. Jane may well have learned to read like this herself as I've mentioned before in earlier podcast she was less comfortable with writing and her early letters Have virtually no punctuation. But over the course of the next three years that Janie and Fred write to each other, Janie's handwriting and punctuation improve over time. Janie's love of her little class seems to have been much appreciated, as when she eventually married Fred, the school gave her the gift of a large family Bible in thanks for her years of service. Every birth, marriage, and death has since been recorded in it, and despite its now rather beaten up state, It is still a treasured family possession. Anyway, back to Blackpool. Wednesday, August the 18th, 1880. My darling Janie, I cannot tell you how pleasant your letter was, although being rather late, I did not get it until last night. I almost expected one on Sunday morning. I only safely say, without exaggeration, that I was miserable until I received it, For I have often found that to anyone in love, the slightest thing is all that is necessary to plunge one into the deepest misery, and vice versa. When I had read it, I was a new man. Was glad to hear of you going to church, but sorry that it was not comfortable. We went in the morning, but I did not enjoy it as much as our own. Was also glad to hear of your teaching being enjoyable, though not quite so enjoyable, I suppose, as our mutual improvement class of two persons you and I. I hope you enjoyed Darnall Church in the evening. We did not go to church at night, but went on the North Pier instead. Talk about dress and fashion. It's something extraordinary compared to Sheffield. It seems as if nothing were too extravagant at the seaside, and indeed is scarcely noticed. I'm glad to see that my absence has not affected your health, or at least your weight. I think I have got heavier as well. It must be because we have not taken any exercise in kissing, however we shall be able to make amends for it next week if possible. At least I feel sweet enough to be kissed, judging from the quantity of marmalade I have consumed. Our Nottingham party left us last Monday, so we are now very quiet. Miss Hesselwood from Attercliffe, their cousin Miss Rogers, and Mr and Mrs Rogers from Normanton Springs came here on Saturday, but they are very slow. Maltby and Greenfield came on Monday, but could not be taken in at our place. Chambers came last night and is staying with them. Last night we went to the Winter Gardens, which I think to be one of the prettiest places ever made. Afterwards went for a stroll on the promenade, got home at 11.25pm, which is considered early here. In fact, there are hundreds out at 12, and I have them coming past our house after two. You see, the electric light makes the promenade almost as light as day, so that it seems a pity to go in at daylight. We have had a complete change of weather since Sunday. It is cloudy and dull until afternoon, and then the sun comes out, and at night again it is cold. The moon last night was beautiful. I felt that if you had been here, our mutual happiness would be complete. I'm not quite sure whether we will be in Sheffield early enough on Saturday so as to enable me to catch the 9-5 to Darnall, so that in your reply you might suggest a time on Sunday, if it is only for a few minutes. We shall not have any class in the afternoon, and I have been thinking that perhaps we might have a walk. It is a special occasion, you know, dear. Tom wants us to stay at Manchester going back. He has some friends there. However, I shall try to persuade him to go early, so that I can see you, my darling. I do so long to clasp you in my arms and kiss you, as only I can do, love, that you know well. I remain, my darling Janie, yours devotedly, Fred. P.S. 1. You really must excuse the writing, as I assure you it is very painful to write owing to the wretched pens, etc. 2. Chambers says he saw you going to Darnall one night last week. However, did you get home? I am afraid I shall have to inquire into this little matter, so beware. 3. Since writing the above, I have persuaded Tommy to leave Manchester by the five o'clock fast train, which arrives in Sheffield at 6.22, so that I shall be able to catch the 6.25 to Darnall, and shall be up your way by about eight. I hope you will not be prevented by the weather or other circumstances from seeing me, my darling. I wish it was eight o'clock on Saturday night this very minute. Yours, love, Fred. Janie's next letter in this exchange has, in haste, scrawled across the corner, and normally I just assume that's to do with the amount of work she has to do with the pub in the cross keys. But I was surprised to discover that there might be a specific reason for this particular haste. As recorded in the Sheffield Independent the following day, there was a particular meeting going on in the cross keys. It reads, Hansworth Association for the Prosecution of Felons. The annual meeting of the above association was held at the cross keys in Hansworth on Thursday. There was a good attendance Mr. John Craven occupied the chair. Mr. E. A. Burdkin read the report for the year, which stated that there had not been many cases calling for the attention of the association in the district during the year. But in all cases which had been reported, the usual rewards had been offered, and it was believed that the association exercised a beneficial influence over the district. It was reported that one of the members had had a number of horses ill treated, and it was decided to deal very severely with the offender and that they should be brought to justice. The finances were reported to be in a very satisfactory condition. After the meeting, the members dined together, after which the usual loyal and patriotic toasts were very heartily received. In very great haste, Hansworth, August 20th, 1880. My darling Fred, I will meet you tomorrow at 8, love. I shall be pleased to see you. I think that this has been the longest fortnight in my existence. I want you to come to our house to dinner on Sunday, and then I can spend the afternoon with you. I don't think I can get out in the afternoon, but if you are on the spot, love, there is a chance we can take, my darling. It is Miss Bray's wedding on Sunday, but it will not interfere with you coming, as I shall have to leave there before half past twelve, being the feast. I believe I shall kiss you tomorrow. So good night until then, love. Yours forever, Janie W. What a lovely welcome home. Fred gets invited to Sunday dinner. You might remember from an earlier episode that the previous year Fred had recorded that he was rather put out to realise that the Warburton's, don't consider me sufficiently eligible to invite me either to dinner or tea, and then had wondered if, perhaps in time, I may overcome their dislike. And here we are, practically a year later, and Fred has evidently achieved this. He's won the Warburton's round. Given their opposition and past meddling, I'm so proud of Fred and Jane for sticking it out. And I'm kind of grateful too, because... If they hadn't, I wouldn't be here. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks for listening to my love letter time machine. We'll be back next time when we'll be finding out more about how Janie's family set about rescuing Emma from her abusive husband. In the meantime, you can follow me sharing excerpts of Fred and Janie's letters on Instagram at my love letter time machine, all one word, or on the blog mydarlingjanie.co.uk. And if you'd like to write to me, you can at mylovelettertimemachine at gmail.com. Take care and have a great week.